Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, a psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna. I think underoos are formal wear. <laughs> and you're listening to Talk Psych to Me. A show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. Okay, we're going to get started in a moment, but first, can I just get some clarification on what underoos are? <laughs> I can deduce what underoos are. <laughs> underoos I'm thinking like, like underwear for kangaroos. So good. You are so close, you don't even know. You're not close at all. Is this Under- another 80s like, reference? No. Hey! I don't know why we got to date people like I'm a fossil over here. Underoos are, they're actually making a huge comeback right now. Huge? Under- How huge? Okay, I know about it. So, <laughs> so basically, when you're a kid, you got underoos because they were like cartoon characters. It's chones. It's like underwear and then the matching shirt of the superhero. So oh. like, yeah. you could, A onesie. You, no, 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 no. It's pajamas? two separate. It's two separate pieces. Are you saying it's, pajamas? No, no, no. I, I know what pajamas are. See, I know what pajamas are. <laughs> uh, but basically, you get the Spider-Man shirt, so like his outfit, and then you get the matching underwear to go with the shirt. It's supposed to be for like sleepwear, but I used to wear that. I used to wear it to school. I mean, the underwear with pants on. Okay. So now that we have that important information out of the way, do you want to hear? I have a feeling it's come back. What? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's making a comeback. <laughs> do you want to hear what we're going to be talking about today? Yes. So today we're going to be talking about talking without talking. Ooh. In other words, the psychology of nonverbal communication. Oh. Cool. Like telepathy? Uh, <laughs> do you think that that's a science? Well, we're going to find out. Let's get into it. I'm really fascinated by what people think psychology <laughs> is. It is so not uncommon for people to say, oh, you study psychology? What am I thinking? Well, yeah, you know why? Is because Professor X has a degree in psychology. This explains everything. Before we dive in, a note for listeners, something you can do right now non-verbally is subscribe to this podcast. You can give us positive reviews. You don't even have to write words. You can just pick as many stars as they are offering on Mm -hmm. whatever podcast platform you're using. And that's non-verbal communication right there. Can I do one? I have one. I have one for all the listeners too. Okay, you ready? This is a non-verbal communication on something you can do. Okay. That's cool. So yeah. you can be doing that this entire time yeah. throughout this podcast yep. as a way to participate. Well, the- I'm already in the nonverbal stuff. That said, you're a pretty verbal guy. So from your perspective, <laughs> would you say it's- that nonverbal communication matters? Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you're growing up uh, in the places that we grew up when you have to learn what someone is saying when they're not talking. You know, mm. you have to learn, like, if, if you're sitting in a group and they're discussing terms of a treaty or something like that, and then you're looking at people and you're seeing if, Where did you uh, grow up? Like, in the 1600s? <laughs> <laughs> Why were your friends discussing treaties? I wasn't. My brother and his friends, like, the neighborhood and stuff like that. You know, you're like, like okay, well, this is... You can't go over here anymore. You can't go to this 7-Eleven. This 7-Eleven is yours. That 7-Eleven is ours. None of that other... Got it. Okay. Yeah, got it. So there is an oft-quoted, I've always wanted to say that, oft-quoted statistic. Why why, why not say often? Because it's fewer (laughs) letters. Talk about nonverbal communication. Yeah, it's more efficient. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Finit your sentence. Actually, that, yeah. That works. Okay. Anyway, this statistic that you've probably heard of, 55% of all communication is body language, 38% is tone of voice, and only 7% is spoken word. Wow. Said another way, 93% of communication is nonverbal. Now, this statistic is used often. 
However, does this seem right to you? Seven percent of all communication is words. No, that sounds like one of those sayings, like ninety percent inspiration, ten percent perspiration, or some <laughs> stupid thing like that. Or hang in there, and the cats hang in there, or something like that. Or you're only as smart as your last mistake, or I don't know, something. Those are good. I just made the last one up. I don't even know if that's a thing. I think I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> So I've been hearing this statistic that most of our communication is nonverbal okay. for years. So recently, I finally hunted down the original source. Okay. And it does come from a real source. Mm-hmm. It comes from a study conducted by Morabian and Wiener in 1967. <laughs> I'm so sorry, sorry. Professor Wiener. Sorry. Dr. Wiener, I'm so sorry. Sorry, Doc Wiener. <laughs> and in 1967, so it's, so it's been around. It's been floating around for a while. Do you want to participate in a quick recreation yes, of the study? Yes, that's what All right, I'm here. okay. So what? Give me the I'm... best of what Wiener has. <laughs> okay, great. Don't forget Morabian. Can Can you tell me like why all the research we learn is someone that is not like Sam Jones or Patty Wilson? You're saying you'd like to see more research done by white people? I don't know about white people. Like, oh, names. where are all the white researchers? I'm not editing that. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. A mini Mm. recreation of this research. I'm going to read you some words. Okay. And I'm going to ask you to judge how I feel about you. Okay. Either positive, neutral, or negative. Positive, neutral, or negative. Dear. Love. No, that's not even one of the options. (laughs) Positive, neutral, or negative. Oh, just those three words. I thought you meant like any of the... (laughs) (laughs) Ready? Positive, neutral, or negative. Yes. Dear. Positive. (laughs) Thanks. Negative. Honey. Positive. (laughs) Dear. Uh, Neutral. Thanks. Positive. Honey. Negative. All right. I'm going to ask you to try it out. Okay. Okay. So I've sent you an email. Okay. Take a look at that. These are words taken directly from the research. Ready? Really. Neutral. Brute. Negative. Scram. Negative. All right. Terrible. Positive. Yep. <laughs> I particularly like those words. Like, uh, I feel like brute and scram aren't used nearly yeah. as much as they should be. I say scram a lot to the girls, but uh, our dogs. I- <laughs> yeah, our dogs. <laughs> but but brute is, I like that. Okay, so based on this methodology, mm-hmm. Morabian and Wiener. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. These researchers, yep. thank you for your contribution. They found that we pay far more attention to nonverbal cues like tone and facial expression mm-hmm. than to the words to determine how someone feels. This is where that statistic comes from. Okay. This is it. Those this, are the ones who gave us the this 97, 93%. 93% of all communication okay. is nonverbal. Right. Do you feel like this can be transferred to real life? Yes. As a matter of fact, today, <laughs> as you saw when we were driving, there was a lot of shenanigans going on in, in traffic today. Like there was a lot of like cutting and uh, blinkers and all that, non-blinkers and stuff like that. And I looked in that guy's car uh, after he made a, a, a traffic faux pas, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. I'm, being, I'm being kind and generous. Yeah. You sound looked, kind and generous. Yeah. Well, he looked in the window and gave me a, 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 a how do you do? And I gave him a what for? And then... <laughs> This continued for several miles. You you were just like making eye contact with each other as you were driving. Yeah, and yeah. He was I even caught up to him to look him in the first. window. And people know people who drive tiny. You don't drive. People who drive know about the the speed up to look in the window <laughs> to get verification that he that his how do you do was exactly what I thought it was. So I gave him back my what fur and then and then we parted ways. And I guess what you're saying is both of you knew exactly what yeah, each of you was j- saying exactly without being anywhere near where we could hear each other. 
I was able to look in his car and know his intent. And I was finally. blissfully unaware. I didn't even Completely. know shenanigans was happening. <laughs> I was happy. like, oh, good, there's traffic. We can spend more time together. <laughs> well, it wasn't like real traffic. It was just like some shenanigans, you know, some weaving in and out, no blinkers. I read this and I was like, this seems not particularly transferable because of course I'm going to pay attention to how you're saying something versus the word because I know that you're just being told to say the word. Mm -hmm. But I guess the more you mention it, the more I'm recognizing the extent to which there are all these tiny, tiny cues around us all the time that we're processing. That said, one explanation for the strong effect of nonverbal cues in this particular study is that when verbal and nonverbal communication is incongruent, in those cases... Can I guess? Yeah. We take the nonverbal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Morabian actually later wrote himself, when there are inconsistencies between attitudes communicated verbally and posturally, mm -hmm. the postural component should dominate in determining the total attitude that is inferred. I can understand that. I guess it's nonverbal, but it's audible. Yeah, but it's still, it's called paralinguistics. Like sometimes you overhear me having meetings and you don't hear what I'm saying, but, but you know I exactly know exactly. Yeah, I know exactly. What... But you even know my tone for certain individuals, mm -hmm. not even certain topics. Yes. Like you'd be like, oh, that was your sister how's your sister and i'm like what you creep <laughs> this is something i wonder if you'd be willing to confess to which is i feel that you okay. are a good representative of someone who can sometimes have inconsistencies between word choice and paralinguistic or tone or postural choice no no i don't <laughs> i don't know what, unless you can give me an example i'm fine Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's I wrong? Nothing. Nothing. And yeah. then what am I supposed to do in my little brain where I'm like, you're, I'm seeing You're supposed to cues. fight for your man. But it's confusing, right? Get in there right? and fight. Because I think, especially in a very verbal <laughs> culture, and me being a very verbal, like I love reading, I love writing, and I like to take people at face value. So if you're telling me nothing's wrong, mm -hmm. then should I be paying All attention right, to the me, words me, or to the paralinguistic no, communication? Paralinguistic communication. Dr. Weiner. And Moravian say that I should be paying attention to the paralinguistics. It, it's like, let me tell you something. I'm about to crack open a code here. There may be someone knocking at the door as soon as I finish this Give sentence. Give us the code. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Anytime a guy says, I'm fine or nothing. And I, I say, again, this is all general. We haven't really dealt with emotions the way humans are supposed to. We, mm. we have to like, like Bill Burr has this great bit where you have to like push everything down. He talks about like guys dropping dead when they're 40 because you have to push down because they can't admit a kitten is cute. You know what I mean? So they got emotions. But yeah, and stuff. a lot of uh, so, cultural kind of norms That's what I'm talking about. Like cultural and, then, and, and, and such. Not, so maybe I don't mean gender, maybe I mean culture. There are more social norms allowing women to have freedom of expression and practice of emotional communication. Exactly, exactly. I think what you're talking about, as much as I appreciate the drama and the buildup of this code being cracked was already discussed at length by a psychologist named John Gottman, where he talked well, about the, he, a he, tendency he, called stonewalling, which okay, is basically yes. like shutting down in the yeah. face of but, conflict but, or but challenge. Here, but here's what Gottman isn't going to tell you, okay. is that men want you to jump over that wall. They do? They do. They want you to bust through that wall and come get them. That time is going to get shorter and shorter once we see the more the other person fights. I mean, it happened with us early on in the beginning. Uh, I remember we had that rule where I couldn't leave. And I was so used to walking out of really, like walking out of arguments, not relationships. I sound terrible. My whole, like the first or first year of our relationship, we had this rule of you can't leave the room if you're angry. And this is going to sound so not deep, but my memory of that year is just needing to pee all the time. <laughs> because I'd be like, 
Oh my god, I need and to be so much, but I can't was... send a nonverbal cue to you that I'm disengaged and that I don't care. I just really freaking need to go to the bathroom and right mine now. mine was, I was always hungry and thirsty. <laughs> like, I was like, god damn, there's pizza in the fridge, and we're having this argument in the living room. God damn, and there's Dr. Pepper yeah, it was always in the, in living the room. kitchen, and I was like, ugh. Can we just walk together? You know, can we just I think get... that is what we learned eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We learned to tag out. We learned, we learned to, to like, okay, I'm, I'm still in this argument, but I have to be. Or yeah. I have to. Or be, be like, I love you, but I have to. But I have to get a bite of pizza. I, ha- I need a sandwich. I'm going to pass out if I don't yeah. need a uh, I don't think I would recommend this no. norm, would you? Because we've also learned the rule that you shouldn't go to bed angry. You know, our rule is like, if you're angry, go to bed. Yeah, go to bed. But a lot of that has to do with learning each other's nonverbal cues, mm-hmm. right? Because what's real anger versus what's like cranky anger or hanger, as we talked about in past hanger. episodes. I think it is fair to say, however, that words account for more than 7% of all communication. So I'm going to call bullshit on... Oh, wow. Th- I think so. I mean, look, never what are we doing? We're doing words. All right. This whole podcast is words. That's words, true. words, words. That's true. That's think true. Think how much right. we pick Let's up see. in reading. Let's I think the thing is when, when our nonverbal and our verbals are in congruence with each other, mm-hmm. that's when we sort of start paying less attention to the nonverbal. So you're saying that only applies in certain situations? I think so. But okay. I do think it's absolutely also fair to say that nonverbal communication sends some very strong messages to people, especially when there is incongruence or especially if, you know, maybe the person isn't speaking at all. And then that's where, or they're, they're speaking very little. That's where nonverbal communication really is important. For me personally, the reason this topic is really interesting is because I think nonverbal communication is really different than verbal communication in that we don't nonverbally communicate deliberately most of the time. And so it's almost like we're like screaming these messages at each other that people are picking up and we don't even realize we're sending those messages. What are your thoughts on why we don't teach nonverbal communication in school? Like why are there language arts classes and not non-verbal language arts classes. I think the more information you pour into a subject like that, the less you give the child the opportunity to discover on their own. And I think when they make that discovery on their own, it lasts, it's like a lifetime. So it, you're it's saying like, just even having a, an episode about this on the podcast is harming people's no, self-discovery no, 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 opportunities? Because I don't think there are any kindergartners listening. Uh, what I mean is like uh, when when kids kind of pick that up, naturally tone and sarcasm and all of that stuff like they they learn that at an early age you know i would agree with you if you were right (laughs) no no i agree with you i do think it's natural i do think Mm -hmm. we absorb it i think the danger in that though is that we perceive whatever our norms around us Mm -hmm. are we perceive that to be correct and objectively objectively right but the interesting thing about nonverbal communication is it is so different depending on the individual, depending on the culture, even depending on subcultures. So why are you saying that that's wrong, what I said about kids? Well, I think you're right. The people do, the kids do absorb it. But I yeah. think what kids can't do is go, oh, this is just my style or my community. I see. That's how we communicate. That doesn't mean that's so the right way to communicate. So you're saying it should be taught in school. I don't know where it should be taught, but yeah. I think it's an important conversation to have because it's a source of so much miscommunication and so much tension. And you can't just look it up in the dictionary. Like if someone says to me under ruse, I can be like, huh, what's under ruse? Noun. It's actually an action. It's an activity. It's a verb. <laughs> verb. It's a verb. Uh, okay. Uh, All right. Whatever. So- but you can't do that with nonverbal. So I do think we should be talking about it more. We could talk about this for hours. I even think it might be worth or it not to split this. It. Or not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> We could talk or not talk about this for a very long time. I'm even thinking we might want to split this up into a few different episodes. Mm-hmm. What I'd love to dive into are space, 
time artifacts and a little bit about paralinguistics. Wait, what the hell are we talking? Are we still talking about yeah. nonverbal communication? So these are we're talking all, about archaeology. These are all dimensions of nonverbal communication. Whew. And we're also going to talk about it cross-culturally. And we'll talk about what it all means and how you can become a better nonverbal communicator and understander. That's not a word. No. I don't think so. This is why dictionaries are great. <laughs> like, yeah, right. right. You haven't opened a dictionary in years. You Google everything. Yes, yeah, digital dictionary. Okay, so let's start with space. So we're going to get this conversation started with space, otherwise known as proxemics. This is a field of psycholinguistics launched by Edward T. Hall in 1963. And Hall and his research team write kind of poetically, virtually everything that man is and does is associated with space. People reared in different cultures live in different sensory worlds. What's more, they're generally unaware of the degree to which the worlds may differ. What do you think about that? I think Hall's a little wordy, (laughs) but I do think he's got a point. Everyone is kind of like living in their own yard. Yeah. And the world is bigger than your yard. But you think that everyone's yard is just like your yard. And what I think is really fascinating about Hall is he went around to all these different countries. And one of the first things he noticed in how people differed in nonverbal communication is their use of space. How have you seen space play out in communication? Well, I noticed that where I grew up in Texas, uh, men never stood very close to one another. Eye contact was a big thing. You never like looked down when you spoke to someone. People were given space to people talk. Were given space. Yeah, people were mm. given like no one was really close. Everyone kind of had their own like. How about to on the road? Each other out. Like cars, because that's a form of communication, as you mentioned earlier. I think up here it's it's bumper to bumper. Uh, because I think space is so confined, and that's accepted. Like yeah. the way people drive in New York and New Jersey, they're very little use of blinkers. When traffic is there, you just kind of have to keep your head on a swivel because people are more likely to jump into another lane mm-hmm. or cross three. Do you remember lanes. when we were driving in India? Oh, that was that was one of the coolest. So and scariest, w- yeah, because we we got in one of those little. It looks like a motorcycle, but with like a, a little back for three people to sit in. And tuk tuk in Pune, and I was hanging out of it, and I was terrified because, like, you just you, you look we're going into this beast which looks like a living thing, a living organism of people and and, and metal, and they just drive into this thing, no stoplights, no turn signals, no nothing, but no accidents. It wasn't clear how many lanes there were. There were no lanes. It was just like wherever you could fit, you could drive, and it was it was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced because. I was terrified the whole time, but people are constantly letting people in, taking space. There, there's not one empty space. Once a space opens, another car is. And it's tip-tip. not, and it's not interpreted as aggression. No, no, because that's just the reality of that yeah. situation, which often shapes how we use space in communication. Space between people, it's usually used to communicate power and intimacy. Oh, yeah. So if you have power over someone, you'll likely take up more space. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was a situation where space didn't signal power because Mm -hmm. everyone was sharing space, right? So it was was shared power. And that was even the same thing on the streets. So like when you were walking... Yeah, like you a, wouldn't you wouldn't be like, why is this person walking so close to me? Exactly, it's a lot exactly. of people. Generally, someone stepping into someone else's space is a power move. You can even see this in individuals with higher power even touching someone, <laughs> which is actually like kind of a subset of space research in communication called haptics. So, so to up your power, you can take up even more space, which is something that we talked about with Amy Cuddy's research in episode four, mm. How to Lose Like a Champion. 
And you can aggressively invade people's <laughs> space, which is something known as territoriality. Oh, that's funny. You know, LBJ, our former president, it was rumored that he would do that. He was, there are he photographs, was a, right? Well, he was a tall, he was a big, yeah, he was people. a big guy, especially with other world leaders. And he's from Texas. So keep in mind that this is like, he knows what he's doing. He mm. was born and bred. And he would step into their circle. He was a space invader. He was a space invader. So he would um he would like step in or he would hold their hands. It was said that when he would he'd feel people pull away like a normal thing, he would hold on to it. Ugh. And he would hold meetings while he was on the toilet. Because he would invite sure. them into his space, yeah. his private space. Make them uncomfortable. And make There's them a great them. episode where Claire Underwood, what was that show? Uh, House of Cards. House of Cards. She did that. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. What you're bringing up is interesting because sometimes even someone's physical body Mm -hmm. could signal something about power unintentionally, right? If you're super tall or if you're you're really broad or if you're really small, that's going to be a communicated message, even though that's not something that's within your control. But it happens to me all the time. Like, I'm, I'm a shorter guy. And, uh, shorter? Shorter. What would it take for you to just say shorter? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing here? What? I'm a short guy. And every once in a while you meet someone. I like when people do that, right? When you're like, oh, older. I'm, a sh- I'm on the shorter side. On the shorter side of what? <laughs> of average height. <laughs> Okay, so I'm a short guy. Like when guys size each other up, I always get that someone wants to big dog me. You know what I mean? And what does that physically look like in terms of nonverbal communication? uh, They they like to define. Let's put big dog in in the (laughs) nonverbal dictionary. Okay, so big dogging is basically like stepping in the space, Mm -hmm. right? And then getting close enough so they have to look down to make me look up. Yeah, like a cartoon. Yeah, so I then invade their space with mass. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like, cause we're, so you puff up. I puff up. I, and you, and, maybe... and what you lack in height, you mm. make up for in breadth of shoulders. <laughs> I like and... that. Breadth, breadth of shoulder. <laughs> Brian Luna starring in Breadth of Shoulders. <laughs> so speaking of big dogging, our researcher named Julia T. Wood. Doggin. Doggin. Sorry. Doggin. <laughs> big doggin. Uh, <laughs> So Julia T. Wood, she's been particularly interested in why men, cross-culturally, but not Mm. in every culture, why they typically take up more personal space, or rather, why are men more comfortable invading a woman's space than a woman is invading uh, a male space? I want to hear this, because you're talking about like like even simple things like manspreading on the... So manspreading is something that has become a popular term in high-density spaces where people are in public transportation together. And it's basically an individual who is appears to be male, spreads their legs, takes yeah. up more. They do it to other males, share. too. I mean, like, I just just so women know, it's not like... It's so another version. stop being upset about it. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. No. What I'm saying is it's a form of big dogging. Yeah. And men do it to other men. It happened to... And what, what, what gets me sometimes, it's funny because it's not always big guys it's these little guys that yeah. are like skinny little ankles and everything and they're like i was like come on man you don't need well you know i'm not a violent hoss. person i generally avoid unnecessary conflict but when i see <laughs> someone taking up more than their fair share of space on the subway yeah. i will go out of my way to sit next to them I and take up space <laughs> i did it i did it uh, uh wednesday I did, yeah, I did it, yeah really yeah 
So, so <laughs> Wood, her explanation is that men do this because they have a stronger sense of turf or, or in other words, she, she calls it ownership over their space. It's dominance, basically. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they're doing it on purpose, but sometimes it's just really unconscious. But I also think it comes from like a, an insecurity thing too. Maybe. You know, like if you're big, you don't have to take up space. I mean, but I have a feeling that like a lot of it is like, hey, I'm taking up space. Don't mess with me. Please don't start anything oh, with me. It's and, like puffing and, out. Yeah, of. yeah. It's, it's peacock feathers, you know? Yep. So like... I have a feeling it's that too. And on the flip side, I don't remember which episode this was where you were talking about crouching in the elevator with women. I don't crouch. (laughs) I don't know. You you added that word. I make myself smaller. Like when you're in tight spaces and you're around individuals, maybe especially if it's like later in the evening, Mm -hmm. you do actually like physically try to make yourself smaller, which is also a a nonverbal cue. Mm -hmm. What are some options? Someone steps into your turf. What do you do about it? Let's say in public transportation. bars and chokeholds and things like that. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um... Wood basically distills it to three options. Well, I guess you can push back. Yeah. I'm uh, interesting that that's the first option you Oh, chose. okay. <laughs> so that could be like protecting your turf. What else? Um, Let's brainstorm some other options. Okay. Perhaps one's uh, moving, less likely to result uh, in uh, violence. Uh, moving. Yep, like stepping clear. back. I kind of have just those two. <laughs> Either clear out or, or The or other interesting one out. that she points out is that, especially if you're in a crowded space and you can't step back, you could avoid eye contact, which is so interesting, right? You think about on subways, people know not to stare at each other. Yeah, like yeah. imagine someone steps in and you're like holding onto the same subway pole just gazing into each other's eyes. So weird. Yeah, That yeah, would yeah. be so weird. And it's one of these things that you just kind of, to your point earlier, you absorb it, you learn it pretty mm-hmm. darn quickly that a way to give someone privacy when you can't give someone physical privacy is to avoid eye contact. Can I tell you a quick story? I don't know if it's going to make it on the podcast. Just uh, so you all know, I edit. So <laughs> I do hold quite a, so, a bit of power so. when it comes to what actually ends up making it in. So I'll tell a story and I'll be like, is that going to make it? And Tony will look at me and be like, no. <laughs> so there's a lot on the cutting room floor if anyone wants to. I try not to um, edit a lot. Let's no, see. Let's okay, see. So, Let so me first, decide so my, if I like it. All right, so my first, Entertain me. <laughs> my first day in New York, like we literally drove in that Monday night. And then Tuesday morning, my brother and I and my cousin Rick were like, we're going down to the Statue of Liberty. So we get on the train and we travel all the way down. And I'm 18. I'm not like a little kid, but I'm a little kid. And um, this woman invaded my space. I had on this this cross, this uh, like a Native American cross. Uh, it was really beautiful and, and it was given to me before I left as like good luck charm. And this woman, this really like attractive woman came up to me and got right in my face, almost head to head and grabbed my cross and was like, this is really beautiful. Like this, And this is again, New York. I was like, this place is amazing and terrifying. I was so terrified of her. I mean, like it, it, she, she just talked so slow and so deliberate and she was holding on the thing. She was holding my cross in her hand and she was looking right in my eyes like we're our, our foreheads are right there and I'm I, I don't want to breathe in her face because I feel like I have bad breath and I'm like so scared and she's got me terrified and she's just telling me how beautiful my cross is where did you get it and I was like I got you know and then so then I sit down a chair opens up she gets off and I see a guy that looks like Eddie Money and I know you don't know who Eddie Money is but he's this old singer from the 80s and uh, if I could walk on water for I those told you, you there'd know, be an 80s reference. if I could find a way so um and time and so he's sitting there and I was like that's Eddie Money I'm like looking at this guy and he's, he, he looks like he's wearing like one of those brown like light brown suits with like a it's a little too big and a shirt and he's got a, a maroon tie and it, it's it's open and he it's the morning and he looks like he's already had a 
tough day. So I'm looking at him, I'm like, it's Eddie Money, it's Eddie Money. I know that's Eddie Money. And I catch his eyes, and I don't realize I've been staring at him. And he he gives me these wide eyes, like, what? Yeah, he didn't say that, but it, he picks up his, his hands. Eyes and his eyes get real big, and he's like, take, you know, like, what are you staring at? So and, he was protecting his eyeball space. Oh my God. I got so scared. I, I, everything I thought about New York, this guy's going to kill me. And I started giggling, you know, how I get, you know, when, when, I, when I get nervous. Yeah. And I start giggling and Rick is like, what, what, what? And I'm sweating and giggling and he's nudging me and I'm like, leave me alone. And I think I'm going to die as soon as I get, before I get to the Statue of Liberty. But this all happened, this I whole story. I mean, that's story. a great culture shock example because oftentimes mm. when people think about culture, we kind of intuitively know that space is a factor, but we yeah. rarely actually talk about it. It wasn't any money. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that guy what? was. And I hope his day got better because holy shit, that was not any well, what's money. What's interesting about the woman that you brought up is that one question there is, was it a show of power or was it intimacy? Because the other side of physical space is intimacy, except I would say when someone invades your space, that's a power play or you invade theirs. When you together close the physical space between you. That is a, a show of intimacy. Okay, so it was power. Pro- probably <laughs> because power. I did not close any space. Uh, I well, and yeah. so and and even intimacy with proxemics <laughs> is totally culturally dependent. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one thing that I think is really interesting is different sleeping patterns in different cultures in terms of how many people will sleep together in one bed. Hmm. So, in the yeah. United States, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in, in the United States and in a lot of Western cultures, private beds, one person per bed, even among really young kids, are really valued. Like, even for me, moving to the United States, even seeing this idea of, like, parents tuck their kids in yeah, we never got to, to their bed and then they just leave them in this, like, room all on their own. What do you mean? What did you, you guys all slept in one room? Well, oh, yeah, especially when I was younger, when we were in Ukraine, for sure. I shared my bed with my grandmother and or or my mom and my sister would sleep with my grandmother and you're giving me a funny look but no that's no, no. Just, I, i'm fascinated I had no in a idea. lot of cultures it'll be you'll have parents kids grandparents and maybe even a guest coming in and sleeping together <laughs> what? Well, so you with your american you know attitude right now <laughs> how, yeah how do you feel about co-sleeping what what makes well, you it, uncomfortable it, about that? i mean it's not so weird because i used to share a bed with my sister and i know that sounds nuts but only it, because it doesn't. It well, only sounds no, no, no. nuts but, for but here, US standards. Yeah, for US standards. But I share a room with my brother. But my brother used to torture me relentlessly. So Liz was like... So you went to your sister for safety. Yeah. So I slept with Liz for safety. But it wasn't like I, you know, I, that was... I had a bed. So it's cultural. It's also individualistic. If I think about you, you come from American culture, but also your family culture being Mexican or Native yeah, yeah, American. Yeah, yeah. It tends to be more communal. But you, I feel, have actually more of a a need for personal space than I do. And when I I get into your space, like you don't like sitting on the same side of the table with me. For me, it's an expression of (laughs) intimacy for you. I think maybe you think it's a power play or like if I put my arm around you, you shrug it off. Get away. I'm not your little buddy. What's up with that? We had very different experiences as as the youngest in our family where y'all are all piled on top of each other, you know, because Soviet Union and one bed per family uh, or something, you know, like uh, stand in line for one bed. No space. Um, yeah, there's no space. It's like, oh, you only and have... it's warmer. I always wanted to be alone when I was a kid. Okay, so that's um, you think that's an expression of your American culture? Yeah, I, oh, I think it's an expression of me because I don't know that every person feels that way there. I know a lot of, like my brother hated to be alone. But going back to what you were saying, the stranger, like a, like a family friend coming over and sleeping in the bed with you, that is really weird here in these United States. <laughs> uh, because it's just, you never know. I mean, like also trust was very 
in very short supply in my in my house. If a family friend came over, that muskrat was sleeping on the couch or, or whatever because you just don't know. You just don't know who's where where your villains are. Doesn't yeah, we. I, it sounds like you, there was a lot of trust in your house. Maybe I mean no. I, in your I, culture, maybe maybe trust, maybe just lack of things to worry about getting stolen. Hmm. So often in cultures of scarcity or poverty, you're just like, let's all share resources because yeah. it's not like one person has more than the other person. Yeah. But but I think like what you bring up is really important. It's there's a cultural element. There's an individualistic element. There's some business courses that will actually teach you when you go to this country, here's how far you should stand from this person. Oh, that's great. You know? But that's it. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Like pull out a measuring tape and be like, if you I are mean, my business <laughs> partner, let me make sure I'm not stepping back. So I, I, for me, I think the best yeah. advice is you don't, come in with your culture. You don't come in with your glasses yes. of what normal is. And you actually watch what are people around you doing so you can react in a way that signals to them a message that they can understand. Well, I remember in uh, the 80s when Japanese economy was growing. Another re- 80s reference. Another 80s reference, sure. But there were actually like uh, courses that people took mm. about culture, about Japanese culture, yeah. not language. Because uh, like, you know, Americans, we're not going to learn shit. We ain't <laughs> like, learning nothing. I guess nothing. I could learn to we bow. We'll learn like uh, hi and goodbye and then everything else is like, oh, and bathroom. And everything else, like we'll figure it out. You have to speak American. But uh, but there were there were courses to teach business uh, people. I remember seeing this on twenty twenty, where you would go and learn when to bow or how to bow. Yeah, who to a bow huge to, part of it is actually how close should you stand to the person, yes, especially yes. in cultures of honor and, and respect. And, yeah, and like where we look at eye contact. Yeah, it's not considered. Uh, and eye contact okay is kind of a separate places. element of nonverbal communication, but it is in the space mm-hmm. category mm-hmm. because it's about how do I, with my eyes, either demonstrate interest. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. giving me that Eddie Money, that faux <laughs> Eddie Money look right I'm, now. I'm just working. I'm just practicing eye while you're talking yeah you could either demonstrate interest but in another culture that would be seen as aggression Mm -hmm. or insubordination or as in your subway incident threat someone getting in your space okay so so far we've talked about the importance of nonverbal communication we've talked about space and Mm -hmm. eye contact a little bit when it comes to nonverbal communication we've talked so much about nonverbal communication (laughs) that we're Kind of out of time for this Irony episode. alert. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Irony alert. So I still want to talk to you about some other <laughs> stuff like time and hair linguistics. So I'm thinking. So what do we do? What do we do? Two-parter. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Round two. Let's end this on a cliffhanger. Ooh, I like that. So then let's talk about. <gasps> 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 If you want to know what we're going to talk about next week. But it's it's a continuation of this. Yeah, but they don't know what. Oh, yes. If you want to know what happens to Brian and Tanya as they talk about nonverbal um, communication. communication, tune in next week to Talk, talk Psych, Psych to Me. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. And in the meanwhile, if you feel like talking to someone about something, talk to people about Talk Psych to Me. You can post on social media. You can even pick up the phone and call someone. And and if you have any questions or if you ever want to talk to us or or have your questions answered in the podcast, then please let us know. And we. Yep. You can actually just call Brian right now at 917 721. Hello. 